0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 11th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The foreign policy so far detailed by President-elect Donald Trump has been scattershot and unfocused. But in January, decisions will have to be made. To help understand who runs foreign policy in Washington, Trevor Thrall, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, describes two tribes of foreign policy thinkers. Hillary Clinton uh, was the least exciting version of the status quo that Democrats could have mustered. And uh, Trump underperformed Mitt Romney. Now with respect to uh, foreign policy, uh, there are, you say, two tribes that we need to understand more clearly. What are they?
1: The two tribes are the liberal internationalist tribe that Hillary was leading into battle during this election. And that's the tribe that's been in power uh, thanks to bipartisan elite support for since the end of the Cold War, really, uh, a project, you know, that involves both free trade, uh, the globe-encompassing alliance system, support for, you know, NATO and other institutions, liberal institutions around the world, uh, but also, unfortunately, for a range of, you know, dubious interventions for, I guess, usually well-intentioned reasons uh, all over the globe as well. So you have the liberal internationalists on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have uh, what we might call the nativists or nationalists or Jacksonians, if you want to be sort of elegant about it, the America first crowd that Trump is representing. And obviously they are far less interested in free trade, far more pessimistic about globalization, far more worried about immigrants and the loss of what they feel is unique to America um, from many different sort of places around the globe. On the upside, they're simply not nearly as interested in intervening uh, around the world or in pursuing alliances just for alliances' sake. So, is this a paleoconservative view? Gosh, I don't know how exactly you would describe it. It is kind of paleoconservative. It's it's a it's a it's a long throwback, I suppose you could say. Um, and what's interesting about what makes this possible right now is that, uh, you know, ironically, the United States is just so darn secure uh, that. We no longer have fights about foreign policy on the basis of you know actual security issues. During the Cold War, when you said, what's the national interest, you, you, everyone agreed. Well, it contained the Soviet Union and the arch of global communism. You could disagree, as Republicans and Democrats often did, about the exact means that you would use to get there, but no one disagreed about the ends. Today, the national interest has decayed into a squabble uh, that is based not on you know, an assessment of external threats so much as uh, people's different bases for, um, you know, valuing things in the first place, people's cultural, you know, identity, politics, things like that. And so, I think the arguments that Trump raised this election show that pretty clearly. Uh, we haven't treated immigration as a real foreign policy issue you know, in a long time, but that's where we're at.
0: I'm thinking about uh, Barry Goldwater's conscience of a conservative and the the sort of you know, plain spoken case that he presented regarding communism and, you know, defeating communism must be our aim was the very sort of clear statement. Um, well, what is that? Which tribe is that?
1: Yeah, that, that you know, frankly, is closer to the liberal internationalist crowd that Hillary represents uh, than Trump by a good march. I mean, by a long, a long strike. It's, uh, you know, Trump, it's funny because... America First is kind of the is the handy and, and I think you know kind of cool uh, if you're going to have a tagline that's a that's not a bad one but does it what does it really mean is the question it doesn't mean fight communism it doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean fight terrorism it doesn't have a global sort of uh, you know this is the role of America in the world what it really means to to my ears is America alone uh, free from you know other people bothering us. It's it's a more isolationist vision than than Goldwater's, for sure.
0: Okay, so libertarians have something to like in both of these camps. The idea of engagement with the world through trade and friendship, not necessarily entangling alliances. And uh, from the other camp, libertarians say, well, sure, of course, the United States should be focused on its own security first and worry about those uh, those other. Uh, problems later, if at all. but of course the, they, they seem uh, libertarians there's there's something to like in both and something to truly oppose in both.
1: Yeah, no question. and I think the the real you know, debate is going to be for the next several months to a year is which you know how, how much of what do you actually get from Trump? How much isolationism, how much internationalism, or even as our colleague Emma Ashford has said, how much imperialism. Um, Trump's been so inconsistent uh, and incoherent, you might say, on his foreign policy views that it's not clear whether he's going to mostly ignore the rest of the world in favor of domestic priorities or whether he's going to go smash ISIS and grab the oil. It's it's kind of hard to tell. But yes, I think if you could uh, perhaps uh, take an average of the Trump and Clinton approach, you you might get something libertarians could be quite happy about.
0: One of the concerns that when I spoke with Emma recently on this uh, the subject of, of Trump and foreign policy was that the establishment, that is the, the people waiting in the wings to actually make policy and those people who are, tend to staff these kinds of positions in Washington and give advice and are empowered to make decisions are the same people they've always been and uh, in many ways are more neoconservative, People who believe that uh, American might is uh, a privilege, that it is a duty, and that imposes upon American institutions the uh, duty to, in many cases, go around the world and fix things.
1: Yeah, primacy as a privilege that brings uh, the noblesse oblige with it. Uh, And unfortunately, I think for libertarians, we're going to see pretty quickly that the um there is no uh, Trumpist bench in foreign policy. There aren't any professional uh, D.C. folks who, peddling a, uh, anything remotely uh, resembling a, a, a Trumpian view of foreign policy. Of
0: To the extent that we know what that is. To, to
1: the extent we, we know what it is. And so most of the names you see circulating uh, over the first day or so here are – Neoconservatives, for the most part, uh, primacists, people who are at the very far interventionist end of the liberal internationalist you know, tribe, if you will. And so the question will be, you know, who, who wins the internal debates in the administration? Is this a, a situation where, where Trump's instincts are going to lead uh, and his advisors will figure out how to make the best of that or something maybe like you had with Bush and Cheney is one of these other voices going to lead the, the fight on foreign policy because Trump, frankly, is so, you know, ignorant of it. Maybe he's going to leave it up to a secretary of state or a national security advisor. Who knows? Uh, I think one other thing... To point out here is that uh, trump is uh, tapping into something that is now a permanent division among the american public uh, you know it's not just the case that trump uh appeared and people decided it sounded good uh he's tapping into a real division between these tribes these tribes are going to be are, are permanent and uh, on the other hand also they are evolving so if we look at the electoral map among millennials. Um, it looks very different. If you, you may have seen this floating around uh, the web, but if you looked at what the Electoral College would have looked like had only millennials been able to vote, I think Trump would have won three states. Uh, and uh, similarly on, on foreign policy, millennials have uh, something closer to the blend of the liberal, liberal internationalist camp and the Trumpian sort of uh, more restrained camp um, that, I, that libertarians might be uh, happy to see. So, I think, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's a division that is pr- going to persist, but it's also going to evolve over time.
0: President Obama ran in 2008 on opposition to stupid wars and his, his pledged to bring an end to the war in Iraq and that really resonated with people. So does that put him squarely in the camp of the liberal interventionists or did he, as he likes to say, evolve his position in office?
1: Uh, darn good question. That, that's, you know, I, I guess only Obama could answer that really accurately because he sure sounded one way when he ran for office, governed another way for most of his eight years and then at the end sounded – uh, as if he might have evolved uh, into something much more restrained uh, in his views, but and maybe regretful that he didn't he didn't find a way to implement those views. I can't tell w- w- which one is the real Obama, frankly. Um, and the same thing will be true with Trump. We're not going to know for some time um, exactly
0: who the real Trump is. Trevor Thrall is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast with iTunes, Google Play and with Cato's iOS app and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.